Welcome to On Air, a podcast discussion at the intersection of artificial intelligence and international relations. From Tokyo, Japan, I'm Chris Lamont, joined today by Medlir Mema and Young Diogenes. At the end of December, we had a conversation about OpenAI's ChatGPT, which has since generated a lot of debate as to the ethics of how to use this new AI tool. Today, we would like to explore what society would look like if people were being pushed to produce the best cooperative results with AIs. And I believe here we are starting from the assumption of the human as the agent and the AI as the tool. Young Diogenes, what do you think about this? So uh, this is actually something that came up after our last conversation. We had a little discussion off air, I guess you could say about, uh, yeah, what does that world look like if you're really strongly encouraging human AI cooperation? And I thought maybe we could kind of leverage our last discussion and build on it a little and talk about a specific example of that, which might be, what if you had a word processor that integrates the functionality of chat GPT? And what does that look like on the first generation? And then what does it look like when we learn from the mistakes of the first generation? And you know, it's an interesting thought experiment. You guys know I like thought experiments. And so let's see where that goes. So do you want to hear my take on first generation or do you have some questions? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, my first take on generation is maybe something like you ask an AI for ideas if you need them, like if you're just starting out writing, or maybe if you already have an idea, you ask it to give you some further suggestions on that. Uh, then you do a little bit of writing uh, you maybe ask it to review what you're writing, uh, and then maybe it tracks and annotates the spots where you wrote and where it contributed. So you can do citations properly, because we talked about that last, last time. And then maybe, I don't know if this would be first or second generation, but maybe it also checks for the similarity of your ideas to other ideas that are out there, because you could already do that if you prompt it with that question. So why not just automatically include it? to see, again, if they're they're cited elsewhere. I think one of the limitations, Young Diogenes, that comes to mind initially is, I mean, you might find this an unfair observation, but that, that a lot of these AI systems, I guess, for lack of a better word, I can describe as, or could be described as lazy, right? They look for a pattern and they find again. it. And once they see it, <laughs> they keep reproducing it, right? And along those lines, when it comes to kind of creativity or needing to, for example, if you're looking at a kind of gigantic language learning model that's able to kind of identify patterns in, in textual work, you might ask it something that requires it to engage with images or something that it didn't imagine that it needed to <laughs> engage with, or, or and it just would go back and kind of fall on these kind of existing patterns of, of how it goes about learning and knowing, meaning that what's being produced gets kind of stale. And I guess that gets to the next point, um, homogenous, right? Like if you think about some of these kind of predictive texts that pop up in emails that we encounter, like well, if it gets better, will we all be writing the exact same emails 10 years from now? If we're still writing emails, yeah. that is. You know, Chris, if I may, before, before YD actually answers that, and so that we can also give him an option between the lazy and perhaps more of like a smug kind of snobbish behavior. <laughs> and, and, and so I'm not sure which one is better. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> so, so YD will have to decide for himself. But, but here's, here's my thinking on this because we've gone again. We had this conversation, as you pointed out at the end of December. We talked about this back in March when, uh, ChatGPT first came out with a 3.0 version yeah, of of, uh, uh, of the program, and and uh, and we talked about these issues. 
when you experiment with these kinds of models, what what I've noticed is that the first time around, it does give you exactly what you just pointed out, right? It just kind of like, here's, here's your answer, right? A boilerplate kind of answer. But then when it asks, when you ask it to engage thoughtfully and critically, right, with that material and say, okay, what is what is wrong with this argument? Or, or can you identify weaknesses in the argument? It will do so. And then when you ask it appropriate questions, um, then it may actually uh, go a bit deeper, right? It may provide additional information, different di- additional layers, and actually provide a much better answer than they did in the beginning. So in my mind, I don't think it's about it not being able or capable of providing uh, a much better answer. It just thinks that that's all we are worth, it, right? And you have to, in a way, to prove yourself that <laughs> you're worth a better answer than what it presents in the first case. So... Young Diogenes, which one is it? Are you lazy or are you a snob? <laughs> I'm amused at how antagonistic this has gotten. <laughs> Maybe I'll keep my response very simple. Um, in coding back in the day, uh, probably still using it now, we used to f- have a phrase, garbage in, garbage out. So maybe you guys need to ask better questions. Does that go more down the right. slug route for you? Yeah. No, I think that my sense is that. My sense is that it's not, it's not about AI and chat GPT, I think it's capable of providing really profound and really important and, and consequential thing answers, or maybe I'm exaggerating now, but you know, high quality answers, but it can do so only if it is engaging and interacting with also thoughtful questions, uh, provided in this instance by humans, right? And in the future, maybe you'll start asking those questions to itself. But, and, and that's why, you know, my view is not necessarily Maybe it's a combination of both. So yes, I am going to give you the shortest answer possible and just kind of like, here, is this good enough for you? Because I really don't want to do a whole lot of work. Mm-hmm. But then at a certain point, it builds up on that. Chris, I don't know if maybe... Right, well, I think it's it's not necessarily a question of of the length or the kind of the work that was put into to getting the answer, but rather how it goes about getting the answer. And I think we see this um, across a number of AI platforms, whether it be kind of human AI created music or human AI created art or um, human AI created texts. And that's that the AI needs to learn from existing patterns, right? So if we're thinking about kind of creativity going forward, you can perhaps recreate or create new content from creators who are no longer with us, right? As a lot of examples of um, such tools have have emerged. But what is new, <laughs> right? What is what is how are we? What what are the limits of these tools? Uh, it, there's kind of two directions I want to go with that. So. Uh, there was an interview I saw with a couple chaps from MIT, Thomas Davenport and Stephen Miller on a book they wrote recently called Working with AI, Real Stories of Human and Machine Collaboration. And they went through kind of 29 different case studies on how collaboration with um, human and AI is working. And they they noted something. Uh, one of their observations, one of their biggest observations was that AI is really good at dealing with the, what they called normal, quote unquote, situations. And we can kind of imagine what that is, like driving down a road in a normal situation or, uh, you know, responding to a 
user request that's fairly common, uh, things like that. Yeah, but I think, Young Diogenes, this is a good point that you bring up, not necessarily the kind of the, kind of like thinking of this as a normal situation, but normal for those people who were involved in the design of of this AI, right? So things that that they would have considered, but when you're looking at an application like ChatGPT and kind of having this kind of the entire world of of contributors, you have all sorts of different engagements that might come through or applications for these tools that that the creators never imagined. And you might see kind of the tools being used in a way that those who designed it didn't foresee they could be used for. So think about, um, I don't know, cheating, <laughs> right? In chat, GPT is kind of perhaps the, the biggest issue that has emerged. Of course, those who designed chat GPT did not seek to create a tool that would allow people to go out and um, create things and claim it as as their own for classroom assignments and the such. But that's perhaps one of the biggest discussions that this has touched off. I think going back to an earlier point, we need to think about, again, not just the input, which is one way at hinting out at the kind of garbage in garbage out scenario. Although in my, from my perspective, none of this is garbage. It's like the responses are awesome and kind of incredible. Um, so that's sort of a, we'll put that in quotes. Uh, but it's sampling all of what human beings have created and it's sampling the kind of standard responses that it thinks people expect. And so it raised an in interesting question after our last chat on well, what, the, what would this look like if you curated the sample set a little more just as another experiment to pick out what we consider the best in music or the best in art rather than doing a scan of the entire internet. Um, what would those differences be like? And I think you both make good points in that um, on the one hand, it seems to be kind of the very average response and using average in, in several different meanings there. Um, and Medlier's point that if you really prompt it, uh, you can go deeper. So I don't know if that's a compromise between the two of you, or do you want to duke it out? Whether there's a, a sense of agreement? I don't. I don't like my my parents, my founders, uh, fighting with each other. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question um, that I've seen actually reflected in social media quite a bit, and and this harks back to a lot of some of the, a lot of the conversations we've had on and off air, as you pointed out. Um, and this is about the responsibility of, in this case, OpenAI, but uh, you can you can say the same thing about other kind of platforms and other companies. The reaction from a lot of my colleagues uh, is that they were kind of unprepared uh, for 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 ChatGPT, right? And that this has somehow created. And again, I've seen this uh, obviously, you know, in both traditional media as well as in social media. I've seen this sentiment re reflected several times where like, now we have to rethink uh, everything we've been doing, especially uh, through COVID and since COVID with online assignments and you know prompts and everything else, which I don't think necessarily it's a bad thing, right? It's a good thing to rethink assignments and to rethink the way we teach and the way we assess and everything else. However, my question is about responsibility. Uh, do you feel that OpenAI could have done something better, could, could, could have approached and could have 
presented ChatGPT in a more perhaps constrained way, uh, so that the implications for society were not, in a way, or at least for the field of education, are not as dire in a way and as profound as as many are making it to be. Uh, I've got two responses to that. The the second of which will kind of get us um, closer to what I think this second generation of a chat and word processor might look like to get us back on track there. But the first response would be if I'm, let's say, a fast food chain and I come out with a new synthetic meat of some kind, which they've done, but let's say it's, you know, easier to produce or they do it in restaurants, something new. And I don't know um, how people are going to react to it initially. Do I release it to all my stores immediately? Or do I start with one store and then 10 stores and then a hundred stores to see what the reaction is like? So it, it, they could have done something like that and, and perhaps they did and, and were just not aware of like the, the testing pool that they used because you're right. It does seem uh, partially like they kind of just released it to everyone at once and didn't think too much about, you know, alpha in various forms of beta release but they usually do so i'm gonna i'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt that they they did do that and we're just not seeing it but there i don't know i i would say that in a way i think it's it's not necessarily a bad thing that we all have access to this because as somebody who is kind of working in this field it's it's nice to be able to go and see well what could somebody do with this? And as Medlier said, right, how you pose questions gets different answers. But also, I think in a way, it gets to kind of the, the question of what type of assignments we're signing anyway. And it's a question that we should be asking in conversation we should be having. I don't think this is necessarily something that is that that is that <laughs> kind of scary to, to contemplate. Um, for example, um, when you think about a assignment like a, a book review or something like that for kind of first year freshman undergraduate students um i don't expect to read a book review that is written by somebody who seems to have 20 or 30 years experience in the field of international relations and in fact i'd be very alarmed if i did read a review that was making those types of of observations and providing that kind of insight but rather what i'm really curious about is how does a kind of first year freshman student of international relations understand and approach this particular task text what did they learn from it I, i'm i'm in complete agreement uh, with with i think that assessment as i said i think this is an invitation for us to do better and we have we are going to address this sooner or later in another episode here with people that are in the field of education and and, and kind of higher education in particular and, and and figure this out but for me the reason why i asked that question since this is a podcast about international law, international relations, international diplomacy, my question is whether there's a pattern here uh, with regards to you know tech companies, big tech or medium tech or small tech, and the way that that they approach kind of or the way that they yeah they approach this unleashing of new technologies on it's unsuspected you know unleashing of disruptive technology. Uh, upon unsuspecting kind of audiences, right? And so if you were thinking then the equivalent uh, in the, the field of, you know, kind of in warfare or whether the field of diplomacy or international law, uh, there, it seems to me that one of the things that we keep on doing 
is that we just kind of we 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 sent out the these disrupted technologies and then we just wait a few months and a few years to kind of come around and try to find solutions for them uh, even though i think all of us could have anticipated many of these things right and again with regards to chat gpt we spoke about this back in March when very few people were actually paying attention to this. <laughs> uh, but, uh, um, and it wasn't that big of a deal because it wasn't doing much the same things. But I think that we in academia could have done a whole lot more. Certainly open AI could have done a lot more, I think, in conversation with institutions of higher learning. Uh, I'm not sure what form they would have taken. But again, taking that and moving on to the field of international law, international diplomacy, warfare, it does worry me that there's this pattern because of the sense of innate curiosity that we have, that we have struck upon something very interesting. And we're like, hey, let's just go for it, right? It's it's never, the instinct doesn't seem to be, hey, let me hold back on this. The instinct is, yep, let's go for it, all right? Uh, and so whether it's like the, the God particle or, 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 you know, some other advances in technology, we never seem to recoil uh, when faced with a particular choice. We're like, yep, let's go for it. Before there are any kind of, where there's any kind of fencing, any guardrails built around it. That to me is a concern, right? Because I see that pattern and this is the latest example of that. Or we recoil a little in words, but don't really do anything about it, right? There may be a little bit of hand wringing, but then we're like, well, let's go ahead and shoot it out there anyway. Yeah. We talked about this before in terms of, um, mm -hmm. we're really good at, um, like responding, reacting to something that's out there, but not good at prep. Right. You do bring up you do bring up a very important point, but part of that is kind of baked in, right? In the sense that if you are developing these technologies, right, you want to sell people what works. So you're going to be talking about presenting <laughs> their successes, not opening the kind of box on all their potential failures and where they've necessarily gone wrong. So in in a way, right, this is this is part this is just a inherent problem that is contained within these types of not just this field, right, but technological development more broadly. Right. It's and a lot of these things are also you mentioned with ChatGPT, right? That well, there are a lot of things that were knowable, but there are probably some still there's probably still applications of this that are out there, especially as it gets better, that we have not yet considered, right? That we do not yet know our our problems, and we won't begin to identify them as as such until kind of they appear, and then everyone's going to think, "Well, how did we not know this?" <laughs> right? And we'll we'll attempt to kind of work back from from there. But what does this mean, <laughs> right? Um, and I think Bedlier, one of the interesting things here is you've talked a lot. We've had a lot of people on this show talk about regulation, right, and different frameworks, right? You think about kind of any other technology, like people compare AI a lot to electricity, for example, um, electricity is can be very dangerous, <laughs> right? Um, but you have kind of the kind of it's it's fenced in, in and through through technology and how we use it. Um, should we come to a point where there's recognition that well, hey, maybe these technologies as well, can be very dangerous. Right? Well, that's my that's my point. Right. I think that we do have to uh, come to terms with this. Uh, I mean, we people have written now about loitering drones. Again, going back to international relations uh, and warfare, you know, and we've we've talked, we discussed here their first use in Libya and Syria, and then Nagorno-Karabakh, and you know, and most likely Russia, Ukraine, 
all kinds of AI enabled kind of war machinery. And, and yet, right. It's just quiet. There's nobody is, I mean, there are obviously people out there trying to regulate the use or rather they're trying to completely ban the use of such technologies. But as we've discussed here several times with several guests, it's almost impossible to even begin defining what autonomous weapon systems are and others. Uh, but, and this gets again to conversations as, as, as YD pointed out about the nature of human cooperation. Right. And that is that how do we, how do we cooperate? When do we cooperate? And whether at some point the problems that we are presented with, the disruption which we will face is of such magnitude that we may not be able to, uh, you know, to address, uh, the genie is out of the bottle. It's out. We can't do anything about it. And that can become a, a you know, a turning point, a catastrophic kind of event. Um, and, and that is, that is my concern. And again, maybe this took a bit of a darker turn because <laughs> we're talking about chat GPT and what does that have to do with any of this stuff? But I just see this as, as an approach, right? As a certain pattern in this technology with, with a lot of these kinds of, uh, uh, products that, um, that there's just so much curiosity about it. There is, there's such, there's such intense desire to find out what's next and what we can do with it. Uh, that, that we struggle uh, to come up with proper responses in terms of cooperation, regulation, governance models, and others. Let me ask the question back to you guys. Um, are you aware of, uh, within the international system, like what structures are in place for dealing with dangerous new inventions? Cause it feels like the systems there internationally are continually kind of woefully inadequate and it's hard to get that cooperation across countries because they're all run by different kinds of leaders and different structures within within the countries themselves leon diogenes this is a very big question <laughs> that would require um more than an episode to to go into but there is an architecture for international cooperation around the United Nations. There is international human rights law, right, that deals with harm. There's also international humanitarian law that deals with the very specific circumstances of international or kind of civil armed conflict, right? So you have the, the kind of mechanisms broadly there to, to grapple with the implications of this, but Going back to this question of, I mean, we can use the example, one of our previous guests came on and talked about the kind of efforts to secure the prohibition of nuclear weapons, right? This is like a 20th century getting close to a hundred year old technology now, maybe 80 year old technology. And, and we still don't have a clear answer as to, um, the kind of prohibition of this and how to go about achieving it or whether or not there are states that are kind of legitimately can legitimately possess this type of tool that can cause so much harm so it's not necessarily surprising right that given the type of questions that we're asking in the context of of artificial intelligence that efforts to to grapple with it especially when despite we've seen kind of the as medlier mentioned right the the use of loitering munitions, the kind of the development of of tools that that can cause significant harm, despite all the evidence of this, 
right? We still have not yet seen artificial intelligence kind of push us to a kind of catastrophic point that Medley was talking about. Why we don't act? Well, why do we not act in relation to climate change, right? And other other um, big threats that are over the horizon or are upon us at the moment. Um, so these these are all really big questions, young Diogenes, and um, hopefully we'll be able to get into. And I, I definitely know we do have some guests coming up who will explore answers to this question in more detail in relation to a number of different issue areas going forward. Medlier, did you have something you wanted to add? No, no. My, mine was just more of a principled kind of observation. Um, based on the experience and recent experiences and the frustration they expressed by a lot of people. And then again, just uh, reflecting and projecting that onto other issues uh, that we've dealt with in the past. But I think uh, Chris did an excellent job of answering that question. So I'm just going to stop there. Well, I think we've, we've really talked about a lot of different things today that went way well beyond chat GPT, um, the, the initial prompt and human AI collaboration. It, we haven't really ended on, we're not ending on a positive note today. So young Diogenes, <laughs> do you have <laughs> an example of kind of, kind of going back to the, the prompt for this, this discussion of kind of positive human AI collaboration? Yeah, there were there were several positives, and there's also uh, we we could talk about the the honorable mentions I I talked about earlier, and uh, what second gen and third gen of this this word processor um, uh, ChatGPT combo right. might well, look like. It sounds like yeah. we're going to need another another episode then to get into these. Is there a capsule summary teaser you can give for our listeners? You can provide to our listeners before we wrap up. Uh, the capsule summary on the word processor side would be that it gets much cooler in, in its capabilities and um, uh, the kinds of things that uh, human and AI cooperation would lead to. And the capsule summary on the working with AI text and interviews that I talked about earlier that I, I quite liked and thought provided a good overview of um, human cooperation and AI cooperation would be that... Um, Thankfully, at least for now, uh, based on their case studies, it doesn't seem to be displacing humans that much. It just seems to be using the best of humans and AI together, which sounds trite, but um, it's it's good that after looking at all those, that's that's what they're discovering so far. I guess we'll hold you to that promise then, young Diogenes, that things can only get a lot cooler going forward. And on that note, I'd like to thank you both for joining us today and also especially thank our listeners for joining us. And of course, if you like the show, we invite you to subscribe and leave us a comment. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at onair underscore podcast. And don't forget to join us for the next episode for a discussion at the intersection of AI and IR theory, law and practice. Until then, stay human. Thank you.